part of me was a little hesitant to film this particular podcast episode, but then I remembered my whole aim here is to raise awareness of encephalitis and also provide an insider's look into what it's like to go through the experience as a patient of having encephalitis. So since my experience that I'm about to talk about is not particularly unique to just my situation, but is shared by, I would say, probably a most chronic illness patients actually um that might as well share since it's been on my mind lately i'll try my best not to let it just devolve into a rant <laughs> anyway a few days ago um i was scheduled to have a follow-up appointment with my um we'll call her the encephalitis expert doctor she was the one who directed my treatment in hospital recently just in january here and She's gotten me back onto like a remarkable road of healing that I have not felt in over in over 10 months here since my relapse started. So I'm feeling like super thankful for that. Meanwhile though, <laughs> there's this disappointment that came a few days ago of I have this appointment booked as a telehealth and basically she did not show up. She stood me up. I don't know whose fault it is. It's probably someone on the back end, but it just kind of ruined my whole day, to be honest with you, and I did not recover from it. I, I tried to, but then it was just rattling around in the back of my mind, like, why did this not happen? What are all these other things that I'm going to have to now switch around and change because of not having spoken to her on the prearranged day that we were supposed to follow up from my hospital discharge? And what's even more frustrating is that there's just been zero follow-up. Like, I did everything I could to ensure that appointment was going to happen, 20 minutes beforehand, I phoned in and was like, hey, I still don't have the uh, telehealth link sent to my email yet. Can you make sure that that gets sent before my appointment? And they're like, oh yeah, sure, we'll get that to you in the next few minutes here. And then I hear nothing and I just figure, okay, well, sometimes she runs late, so this is just part of the process. More time passes and I start to get kind of antsy, but figure like, nah, these people know how to do their job. Just <laughs> let things fall into place as they will. And then, a whole hour passes from when my appointment was originally arranged for, and so I figure, okay, I'm justified to call in now. <laughs> and there's a few layers of people you have to get through to get to her, like, I guess, right-hand nurse or staff or whomever. So I get to her and she's like, hmm, yeah, I do see that you're supposed to have this appointment here. Let me put you on hold so I can figure out what's going on. And then when she comes back, she just gives me an apology and she's like, I'm so sorry, I don't know what happened. We're not able to get in touch with the doctor right now, but I'll make sure someone this afternoon gets back to you on what to do from here. And nothing happens. <laughs> I wait like four more hours, her office closes, and I heard through the grapevine that the doctor is going on vacation this upcoming week, so it's like, <laughs> oh, I'm just left hanging here. Now, to someone who is generally healthy and maybe they just have to see a doctor once a year, twice a year, maybe three times a year if they have an infection and need antibiotics, it's a nuisance, right? Or it's an inconvenience, but whatever, you'll book in again and things will be fine. Or you just like find an urgent care doctor who can continue the same sort of care and get you the straightforward things that you need. But in my position of having this rare illness that I've dealt with for the past six years. Instead, the thinking goes to like, what are the ramifications that missing this appointment has on the rest of my care? For one, I need ongoing maintenance therapy in the form of IVIG and rituximab. So then the thinking goes to, 
does this delayed appointment mean that I don't receive these medications in the ideal window of time? And does that mean I don't recover fully or as quickly? And secondly, um, I consider like, do I have to reschedule my appointment with my local neurologist because I won't have the latest word from her or documentation from the encephalitis expert on what her recommended care plan from here is. So then you're doing all these mental calculations of, <laughs> do I assume that local neurologist will remain compassionate and listen and be comfortable with following up on her recommendations based on my word? Or will he decide like, you know what, this patient has found this other doctor out of state, she's taken care of and I don't need to get into the middle of this. Now, I don't think that will happen with this local neurologist because he's been really great for me in the past, but I've learned over time that you want to make a doctor's job as easy as possible. You don't want to make things more complicated than they need to be because that can lower their desire to help out and then they can drop you. So then as I'm thinking through this, I'm, I'm realizing I'm having this medical trauma of the past dredged up, like something in the past is causing this sort of overreaction right now when things will probably be okay, though there is still this chance that things could go in a negative direction. And then there's these other peripheral things that I need done as well, like I need a follow-up PET scan and neuropsychiatric testing, and that's likely going to come through my local neurologist. And that should probably get done kind of quickly here, because... I mean, God forbid I relapse, period, but even worse, if I were to relapse before getting that testing done, showing an objective marker of improvement to correlate with how I'm self-reporting my improvements subjectively, then like all the work I've done in the past few months to get intensive treatment is going to be looked at with skepticism by anyone else other than this encephalitis expert because it's like, well, where's the evidence that the intensive, risky treatments you put this patient on actually resulted in recovery. Like, as a seronegative autoimmune encephalitis patient with a non-classic presentation, like me, some providers continually have the question in their mind whether my diagnosis is legitimate in the first place. <laughs> I had one neurologist several months back that just tried to imply that I have adult ADHD, <laughs> not encephalitis. So as I catch my mind just spiraling out of control with this frustration and anxiety, I also become keenly aware of the fact that to the encephalitis expert doctor, this is probably just an, kind of a non-event in her day of like, oh, eh, this patient didn't show for her appointment, on to the next patient, out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> and in contrast, for me, it's like, in my head, I've made my whole day kind of crash down by catastrophizing all these things, but it's due to past mismanagement of my case and having all sorts of things go awry with previous doctors. It really sucks to have developed this sense of hypervigilance based upon real things that have personally happened to me. Like, the next time I have a telehealth appointment and the doctor is running late, I know I'm probably going to have this sense of anxiety to battle back, and it's just so annoying. <laughs> I don't think I will ever completely get rid of that, but I'm going to keep reminding myself that Everything is going to work out in the end. It has up to this point, and like I've gotten onto this amazing track that seemed so out of reach for so long of finally healing and improving, then that's more than I can say about the majority of the past six years. So there's my rant about what it's like to experience medical trauma and anxiety. Fellow chronic illness patients, you are not alone. <laughs>